five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. And welcome into the Bam on Three Show. This is your host, Clint Lamb, sitting here once again with Jimmy Stein. Jimmy, how are we doing on this? It's not Depth Chart Monday anymore, but it's Reaction Tuesday, I guess is what we're going to call this. <laughs> it's, the, it's like the day after Christmas. There there should be a word for December 26th, some sort of phrase Whoa. for that, but uh, it's like the day after Christmas. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. And the reason I say that is after Christmas, I mean, I guess you got New Year's to look forward to, but really all the fun's over. Really, the fun's yep. just getting started. Uh, the fun <laughs> starts on Saturday. So I don't know about you, but based off of this depth chart that was revealed on Monday, which, you know, anytime you get a Nick Saban Alabama depth chart, you, you can't take it as the gospel necessarily, but there were some very revealing things. And so I think we're going to very quickly, very quickly, Jimmy, talking to you, I'm talking to me, um, <laughs> making sure we stay on track here uh, and don't make it too long, but position by position. And really, there are going to be some. Perfect that it's just no surprises very quick. Just talk about it. And then we move on and we talk about the good stuff. So I guess we'll just go ahead and dive right in. Stop wasting people's time. Quarterbacks, no surprises. Bryce Young list is number one. Jalen Milrow is the clear cut number two and Ty Simpson, the five-star true freshman at number three. Any quick comments before we get to the running backs? I wouldn't have been surprised if, if Milrow and Simpson had a backslash just because Saban doesn't like to, uh, be, uh, you know, he, he's waited until kickoff to announce who the starter is. So I, I, I halfway expected a backslash there. Uh, interesting that Saban was uh, loud about saying Jalen Milrose number two. Yeah, I agree with that. I think just because he's a year older, been in the system, I think it would have actually spoke volumes for Ty Simpson if we had spent the entire offseason talking up Jalen Milrow and how special a player he can be. And then as a true freshman, Ty Simpson comes in and earns that, you know, slash um, or or status, uh, as some people like to call it. But, it, yeah, it, it's a good group. I think they're in pretty good shape from a starter standpoint, obviously. Reigning Heisman Trophy winner, back up, very strong as far as, you know, talent and what people think Jalen Milrow can be. And then you got an extremely talented freshman in Ty Simpson if you had to work that far into your depth it wouldn't be ideal obviously but a lot of other teams would be in a lot worse shape if you got to your number three than Ty Simpson uh running back this is where things start to get interesting not necessarily and once you think about it this is exactly how we thought it was going to play out our depth chart projections had this pretty much nailed and it was Jameer Gibbs being the clear-cut number one guy it was Jace McClellan and Roydell Williams having kind of that co-backup role, the or status between them. And then Trey Sanders listed with the, uh, I guess you would call it third team or fourth team. He's the fourth running back listed on the roster. You know, Jamarian Miller, the fifth running back, he wasn't even listed. So any reactions to the running backs? Uh, just not surprised. I think me and you nailed this all summer long in terms of what this would look like, assuming Jace and Roydell were of good health, which they are. Uh, I would look for this, though. I think Jace will be the second running back in the game consistently. But uh, I, I think maybe Roy Dell might be almost like a designated goal line back, designated third and one guy, just a little tougher than uh, Gibbs and Jace in terms of running through tackles. This is something that we talked about throughout the – well, I wouldn't say throughout the entire offseason. It's something I started thinking about, I guess, towards the latter part of the summer. 
but we discussed it here on the show. And for anybody that's been watching or paying attention, you've already heard us talk about this a little bit. And that was something, you know, a question mark that I had, you know, had about the running backs is a very talented group, but kind of who was going to be that bang between the tackles power running back. I find it very interesting that, you know, Alabama has had similar conversations. I don't remember exactly which running back it was. It might've been Jace McClellan actually, where he was asked about, you know, where's the power going to come from, from this group. And Jace was like, that's something that we've kind of preached is get you. We have, you know, we don't have a lot of guys with a ton of size, but we run a lot bigger than we are. And so the, I think that that is something that, you know, the fact that Alabama has been putting an emphasis and a focus on that, I think that's really interesting. And Nick Saban has brought up the fact that, you know, Jace McClellan is kind of that power guy or can be that power guy. And you look at him, it certainly looks like a guy who could be. And he did it quite a bit in high school. I just wondered, could he do it on the SEC level? We saw a lot of outside stuff last year, a lot of pass catches, you know, out of the backfield. Can he bang between the uh, tackles consistently? So I think he'll be in that mix. I think you're right. We did see uh, Roydell Williams rotate in, you know, or I didn't see it. Uh, others did. I heard about it, really. Um, but, you know, Roydell rotating in down there on the goal line, I think that that is something else to note. We'll see if that was just a scrimmage type of thing and they were getting him some situational work, or is that kind of the plan? Was Alabama being revealing with, with, those, with that decision in particular? Uh, next position on the list, wide receiver. Now, this is something that we're probably going to talk about for just a second. Like, we haven't spent enough time talking about the receivers this offseason, but, hey, Kobe Prentice, man, true freshman, earning that not just starting status, but lone starting status. Would he be in the starting lineup if JoJo Earl was healthy? Probably not. But he would be certainly in that conversation. He would probably still be getting quite a bit of usage. I've said it already. Well, I'll continue to say it. This is a guy who JoJo Earl goes down, Aaron Anderson goes down to your slot guys. He stepped up and took full advantage of his opportunities, and now he's in a position against Utah State. And, you know, probably maybe, I would guess at the very least through the next, probably the first month of the season, this is going to be a guy who's going to get plenty of opportunities in live game action. And if he continues to take advantage of it like he has in the scrimmages and in practice, he's going to be a guy who's set up for success for the entire season. It's amazing to me, Clint, that, that Alabama uh, can recruit, can sign multiple consecutive number one classes, never really fall out of the top three, stack in one class on top of another. And inevitably, every fall, a couple of these freshmen end up in the starting lineup when it just seems impossible because, like, how is a new guy going to be number one when you've just signed all, all these number one classes? You, you, it should be impossible for a freshman to start yet. Every year just goes to show it no matter how well you recruit, it, it, you're always going to have some sort of a hole in the lineup that, that, that can be filled by a, a kid with a lot of talent. The fact that it's Kobe Prentice and a defensive lineman we'll get to later, it is a, a, a little bit shocking. Maybe it's on me, uh, but, but I'm still a little surprised that Kobe Prentice is ahead of Shaz Preston. He's ahead of Kendrick Law. He's ahead of Isaiah Bond. Uh, it's, it's because I held all these guys, including Prentice, in high esteem, but I'm still, wow, it ended up being Prentice. Yeah, that is true. And, you know, one thing about being a freshman that plays at Alabama, you do have the instances. I mean, obviously, Alabama had to work into his depth a little bit with Kobe Prentice. They had to work into their depth a little bit last year with Kool-Aid McKinstry. You know, they had to have some guys get hurt, and a guy like Marcus Banks choose to leave, even though technically the reason – Banks left early 
in the middle of the season was because Kool-Aid McKinstry was considered the number three corner. But you had to have, you know, at least, uh, you know, Josh Job or Jalen Armadavis get hurt to get him on the field consistently. And then both of them end up getting hurt. And now he's, you know, arguably your most experienced corner or your top corner. But, you know, with, with Prentice, it's interesting because when you see true freshmen in these types of situations, a lot of times it's because they do have or they're showing that superstar or those superstar tendencies. And I want to bring that up because this isn't necessarily out of necessity for Alabama. Alabama, even though they have lost JoJo Earl for, you know, at least the first month of the season, they don't have Aaron Anderson, who was also a true freshman, by the way, but he was an early enrollee. And, you know, they lose Jamison Williams. They lose Slade Bolden, John Mechie. A lot of losses and turnover at receivers. So you would say, okay, there was a huge need for a guy like Kobe Prentice or a true freshman to step up. They had brought in Tyler Harrell. They had brought in Jermaine Burton. They had Trayshawn Holden. They had Ja'Cory Brooks coming back. And yet, Kobe Prentice being listed as a starter is through his quality play. It's not necessarily out of necessity. It's going to be the same thing when we talk about Jaheim Otis. It wasn't that Alabama had a huge need along his defensive front. It's that Jaheim Otis was such a good player so early and it just clicked and he was getting it that the coaching staff's like, we can improve what we thought our defensive line was going to be. It's now going to be better because Jaheim Otis is now a part of this and he is ready. And at the very least, he's going to provide depth. But now it looks like he's going to be, you know, not necessarily the first guy out there, but he's going to be running with the first team, you know, playing in very crucial situations and getting quite a bit of snaps. We'll talk about that more here in a minute, but getting back to Kobe Prentice, this is a guy, I mean, very smooth player when you watched him in high school. You know, I, I feel like he can create for himself after the catch with the, when he's got the football in his hands. He's a very electric player, uh, very fun to watch. And, you know, I've said it, you know, he can play inside, he can play outside. He's going to be lining up in the slot quite a bit. He seems comfortable handling volume. Uh, if you want him to be averaging five, six, seven catches a game, I think he can do that. And if you wanted to be kind of a big-time playmaker downfield, I think he could do a little bit of that as well. Don't know how much we'll see it. Depends on how he gets used, but he certainly fits what Alabama is going to want to do as far as these types of receivers that they've had in the past. He's going to be in the next wave of that. So give him a lot of credit. You also had Trayshawn Holden as the you know starter with Ja'Cory Brooks being listed as his clear backup at the Z position. What do you think about those two guys? Uh, on the one hand, uh, I never would have believed that before fall camp. That's what. That's why the depth chart is fun to me. Uh, I think next year I'm going to do a better job of this, Clint, uh, is before fall camp starts, I'm going to predict depth chart Monday. <laughs> like, okay, what, 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 do, what will depth chart Monday look like? And then when depth chart Monday gets here, then you compare both and you see it's a great way to see what were the real surprises of fall camp. And this is yet another one because if you'd have asked me in, uh, in July what this would look like, I would say, well, Brooks ahead of Holden. But Holden's ahead of Brooks. Why? The scrimmage, the the, the second scrimmage where Holden had uh, reportedly uh, a, a minimum of a 180-yard day, uh, a, a, including three big play touchdowns. So that's it. That's it. That dress rehearsal, I think that's what pushed Holden into, hey, we got to start looking at this guy like he's a go-to player. It's weird to me because I went back and I watched that first spring game in uh, I guess it was 2021 where Bryce Young had just become Alabama starter it was his first chance for fans to get to see him as quote unquote the starter and he liked Treshawn Holden and to me Treshawn Holden looked way more explosive in that football game than he did at any point that I saw him last season 
And I don't know yeah. if he was hurt. He might have not been hurt. I never heard anything about him being banged up. And so he, it, I, I don't know what it was, but just going back and watching, you know, a lot of his tape, I think he's a guy, even though he's a big body guy and people are going to assume, you know, because I, I, for one, did assume, you know, I, I felt like that he was a, you know, your prototypical X style of receiver. And these, by the way, the X and Z that Alabama lists them, it essentially means nothing. They move these guys around, but I will say, going back and watching a lot of Trajan Holden's high school tape, this was a guy that played more comfortable off the line of scrimmage. He actually did. I didn't really see him get used a whole lot on the line of scrimmage. He was lined up in the slot a lot, by the way, in high school. And so he was off the ball. He didn't have to worry about fighting and getting off press. And, you know, I don't know if maybe we, we did see him kind of struggle when he did get asked to get off press last year a little bit. But I think that some of that might be just the fact that he was still somewhat inexperienced with it. And right now they have him playing in that zero, which is what they're listing listing him as. And that's a guy that's going to be playing off the line of scrimmage. I don't know how much that ends up being the case. We'll have to wait and see. But Holden is a good player. He's a reliable player. And I don't think we're giving him enough credit, myself included, as far as what he can bring to Alabama's offense. Uh, we definitely thought that he was going to be involved in this conversation. We just didn't think that he would be maybe not the go-to receiver. I think we all still believe it's going to be Jermaine Burton. We'll have to wait and see. But, you know, Trayshawn can be a guy who can also handle volume, and he's got a great rapport with uh, with Bryce Young, and I don't think that should go, you know, unnoticed or ignored. So right. that is something that's very interesting. And then the last one that we'll talk about is Emmanuel Henderson, who, I mean, this is a guy who moved from the the running back position to wide receiver has instantly kind of gotten in the mix. And Nick Saban has talked about this is the guy who has a great work ethic. And by the end of the season, Nick Saban says, well, hey, we feel like this guy can help us uh, at some point this season. What do you think about his move? And what do you think about the performance? He's been listed as the co-backup along with Christian Leary there in the slot. Uh, amazing. I mean, the, the fact that we're even talking about Emmanuel Henderson playing in the games with the first rotation at wide receiver when he came here as a, as a running back and was scheduled to be a running back. He was only discussed by the staff as a running back. And then camp starts, you get a couple of receiver injuries and you're like, man, this guy looks athletic and can really help us, but he's never going to help us as the six back. Uh, but he might help us at wide receiver. Let's take a look. And the next thing you know, he's in the picture. That's, that it, it that it's just hard to wrap my head around that that really happened. Uh, he's going to be great with the ball in his hands. You know, once he catches the ball downfield, we know he's good with the ball in his hands. We, we've seen that on, on his high school tape. Uh, just one word of caution. I, I would tell people though, that are, that are so excited about seeing Emmanuel in the first game, Alabama only plays a limited amount of receivers in that first rotation. That's what really matters is who's in the rotation with the ones, uh, because Emmanuel Henderson is on that list and where he's listed, I, I wouldn't assume that he's going to be in the first rotate, the first team rotation game one. I, I wouldn't assume that. Now, he might be. He might be. I could be wrong. But my guess is he's going to be more of a garbage time guy in September and then could springboard himself into the rotation by making a couple plays uh, and continuing to learn the spot. So, I'm wondering if Emmanuel Henderson might be more of a November thing than a September thing. And I think that that's kind of what Nick Saban was alluding to when he talked about it. He said, I think that he can help us before this season's out. Uh, if, it wasn't that exact quote, but it was something similar that kind of pointed towards eventually. He's trending in the right direction. He's doing the things that he needs to do. He's got a good work ethic. He's got a good approach. And he's 
taking what we're coaching him to do and he's applying it and he's getting better as a result. And I think that that's huge. When you're talking about a player being able to do that, Kobe Prentice is doing that. Uh, Jaheim Otis is doing that. And they're getting themselves onto the field early on in this season. Emmanuel Henderson, maybe the only thing that's holding him back is the fact that he is transitioning from running back and it still is relatively new. But if he's getting that kind of praise from Nick Saban, I thought he would be more of a long-term guy. I loved his talent long-term, but I looked at him and I said, you know, this is a guy that came from a 2A school. We've seen guys in the past come to Alabama who came from smaller competition, and they had a tough time transitioning, and it took them longer, or they never did transition. Uh, and then, you know, so you kind of make that assumption that that will be a problem, and for a lot of guys it is, but then there's the occasional guy where it's not. He's just that good. And with Henderson, one thing I'll say about him, I, I love that I think I saw somebody on the message board, uh, the Talk Champions message boards, compare him or or mention Kenyon Drake and the fact that he could be played as a running back and a receiver. And as soon as I heard Kenyon Drake for Emmanuel Henderson, I liked that. I've heard a lot about Jameer Gibbs being, you know, Kenyon Drake-esque. I don't just, I, I don't agree with that at all. Uh, I think they're two very different players. Right. I think that Emmanuel Henderson, you know, you're imagining the situation where, okay, let's say Kenyon Drake gets to Alabama and some receivers get hurt and he ends up playing wide receiver early in his career. He might've stuck around there because I think he was certainly capable. He could have went either direction, just like Emmanuel Henderson. And we might be seeing what would have happened with Kenyon Drake had he been in a similar situation. Cause I think you're getting a somewhat similar player in Emmanuel Henderson, actually getting that experience. And we're seeing how that works out with a guy like Jameer Gibbs. I've seen, you know, like I said, I've, I've seen him get compared to Kenyon Drake. I think you look at the other pass catching running back that never really became a thing at Alabama and Alvin Kamara. You're, 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 I think you're getting Alvin Kamara NFL workload from Jameer Gibbs in the, on the college level, if that makes sense. Um, but anyways, uh, in, in, as far as, you know, you're talking about Henderson and stuff right now, it's looking like Jameer Gibbs or excuse me, not Jameer Gibbs, Jermaine Burton. Trey Sean Holden and and Kobe Prentice, those are going to be your top three guys right now. Corey Brooks is certainly going to be involved in that mix as well. Right. I know he's not listed as a starter, but he will be seeing heavy usage. He will be the first receiver no on doubt. the bench, if I had to guess. No doubt. I, and, and before it was like, we all thought Jermaine Burton's going to be this huge number one. It's going to be like him and then everybody else, distant number twos and threes. I'm coming around. I think you actually might see it get spread around a little bit more. Treshawn Holden's doing some good things. I think Kobe Prentice can handle some volume. Corey Brooks is going to get targeted. So it might not be this heavy, you know, having to rely heavily on a Jermaine Burton early like we originally thought. But we'll have to wait and see. But I agree with you. I don't think that Henderson is going to be a guy who's going to be in that rotation, especially early on. Next position, tight end. Cameron Latou, Nick Saban said that he was going to return to practice yesterday. They were going to see how he does. We haven't got an update on that. Uh, we didn't talk to him after practice or anything, so we think that he's trending in the right direction. He could play against Utah State, or it could be, a, hey, let's let's get you practice this week. You're not going to play on Saturday. We'll get you practice next week. That'll get you a couple of weeks. And then by the time we head to uh, Austin to take on Texas, you'll be ready to rock. So what do you think about Cameron Latou, and what do you think about the way that the tight end depth chart looks? Well, maybe it's – for the best that Latu's not going to be ready in time for Utah State. We don't know that. We know he's just started practice. It's hard to imagine that he could sit out all of fall camp, start practicing on Monday, and then start on Saturday. He is a veteran, and he's a tough kid, but maybe it's just for the best that 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 you, you know, just kind of focus on Texas 
for him when you when you're really going to need him. And it's a nice uh, uh, a nice opportunity for Robbie Oost and uh, and the freshman tight ends to 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 get playing time against. Uh, let's be honest, a little bit of a lesser opponent than than we what we expect Texas to be. Uh, so I think it's a good opportunity for Oost. Uh, I think it's an even better opportunity for Miles Kitzelman, who's going to uh, apparently be the second tight end, at least this weekend. Uh, probably we'll even see late in the game both Daniel Lewis and Amari Nablack. Uh, Black. Uh, I, I, I think uh, uh, it's a good opportunity for them against someone. Uh, I mean, we're not throwing them in the deep end against LSU. I mean, I mean, this, this is something they should be able to handle. And uh, and then then we'll see. We might find out this weekend. Hey, these guys can help us, you know, down the road, even when Latou is back. So uh, I, I like focusing on on Texas for Latou and giving uh, giving this Utah State game to Robbie Oost and Miles Kitzelman. Uh, let let those two do all the heavy lifting for three quarters, and then uh, and and then cut Lewis and Nye Black loose in the fourth quarter. Yeah, I agree with you on that. And just for anybody that's holding out hope for Amari Nablack being an early contributor, uh, early season contributor, you need to go ahead and probably get that out of your head. The fact that he was listed behind Danny Lewis, not, that's not crippling. That doesn't mean that he can't climb the depth chart. I just think that it's going to be tough for him, when, especially with Cameron Latou returning, for him to climb from right now what I'm kind of viewing as, you know, a 4B, but, you know, also kind of a 5 you know, tight end right. five, all the way right. up to tight end two or three or one. You know, you're probably not going to be playing three tight ends a ton. So once Latou gets back, I mean, you're probably going to see Oots. You're probably going to see Latou. And then you'll see some Miles Ketzelman sprinkled in there as well if you need a third tight end. Uh, but, you know, I, I was big on the black coming into the, the year as far as throughout the offseason and, and after he signed. And I still am really high on him for the future, but especially early on and maybe not at all this year. I would probably get off the whole Amari in the black train uh, right now and just let it play out and see how it does, you know, later. Uh, offensive line. And what I'm thinking with that we do is that we finish up the offensive line really quick and then we do a whole separate – where we are getting through this relatively quickly, but as far as breaking down each position, we'll probably have to break yeah. this up into two. But uh, what are your thoughts on the offensive line and how it looks on that initial depth chart? Uh, four spots, just no surprises based on, uh, the reporting through fall camp and kudos to you, Clint, uh, to you in particular, uh, people mentioned this on the message board yesterday, uh, despite the fact reporters could not attend practice. I think Alabama fans were really prepared for that depth chart. And that's because of great reporting from you, uh, with Bama insider, uh, and the other members of the, of the beat pool that work for other sites and other, uh, other publications. Uh, we weren't shocked. You know, there were some surprises, but but we were prepared. And, and, and I, I say that in particular as it is with the offensive line. I think there were four positions where we just saw this coming. We, we, we knew Tyler Steen had one left tackle early on, which is good news. We knew J.C. Latham had locked up right tackle. Again, good news. These are things we didn't know in the spring would happen for sure, and they did. And that's great because – those are your upside guys. Those are the guys we needed to come through, and they did. We knew Ekior was healthy again, lost some good weight, and, and is probably set to have his best season ever at right guard. And uh, thanks to the good reporting, uh, even though most of us projected McLaughlin to be the center, uh, there's been no doubt that Darian Dalcourt was the center. From, from, from practice number one 
all the way through uh, today. Uh, Darian's been the center. Now, I also think Seth is uh, might be a little banged up. You know, I'm not sure Seth is 100% healthy. So let's see when he gets 100% if that ends up being a competition again. But I'm just saying those four spots, uh, Steen, Latham, Eki, or Dalcourt, no doubters. The surprise is Randolph at left guard over Javion Cohen with no backslash. Uh, I'm still not 100% sure I know what, what it means. But let's just face the reality, people. <laughs> Randolph started both scrimmages. The first scrimmage and the second scrimmage, he was your starting left guard. He's now the starter on the depth chart with no backslash. Kendall Randolph's a left guard. As to how, why, what it means, I don't know. But he's the left guard. And for those that are shocked that he beat out Cohen, and I'm one of those people, by the way, he didn't just beat out Cohen. They could play Booker there. They could play Terrence Ferguson there. They could play Jaden Roberts there, Tanner Bowles. They could move a tackle like Damian George. Kendall beat out everybody, not just Cohen. He beat out everybody. It's about playing your best five, you know, and apparently they feel that Randolph is one of the best five, at least for now. I think with Kendall Randolph, and this is speculation, um, but I think it's important to note that consistency is so important with the coaching staff. You can play in an extremely high level 80% of the time, but if they can't rely on you for that 20%, they're not going to want you out there. And especially when you're doing something like protecting your Heisman Trophy winning quarterback in Bryce Young, you can't be good 80% of the time. The 20% of the time can get that man killed. So you've got to be consistent really at any position that you play at Alabama. That's why Nick Saban talks about it so much. A lot of those young guys are trying to build depth. Why is Nick Saban concerned about the depth? It's not that they don't have talent, they don't have options. Is that he doesn't feel like that the depth is playing with enough consistency. And if they have to turn to these guys, you get into a national uh, championship game situation, whether it be with the cornerbacks or it be with the receivers, and you say they didn't play with consistency in that football game, and it cost us the football game. And so, you know, Kendall Randolph, his 80% might not be as good as other guys' 80%, but where he makes up for it because he's a six-year player and he's been doing it for forever is I feel like maybe the coaching staff can trust that 20% that it's going to be a, a close enough to that 80% where you know what you're getting and it's good enough to get the job done. And until a guy like JVN Cohen can prove that maybe, you know, whatever he's been going through is going through, whatever the situation, whatever's happening, maybe he just simply got beat out by Kendall Randolph. You know, maybe because we do know JVN Cohen last year, very good. Like I said, in that, you know, 80%, very, very good. But in that 20%, he did lack some consistency. I think a lot of the offensive linemen did. Maybe Cohen wasn't playing with enough consistency, and that's the issue. Uh, I don't know, but I think that when you have a player who you can at least insert into the starting lineup and you can trust that you know what you're going to get on a down-in, down-out basis, if you're happy with what you're getting in that situation, more than the ups and downs of another guy, you know, you're know you going to probably choose or elect to, to do that because – if the other guys are all playing extremely well, and you know, I think that you you don't want a guy who can get you beat out there. Right. So I think that that's pretty important. So any more notes on the offensive line? And then we're going to hop off and then you know do another one, uh, another defensive one, I guess. Uh, not really. I would just say this: I, I I think communication was an issue with the offensive line last year. When when I went back and rewatched games, I didn't see a ton of instances of Alabama's offensive linemen just getting their their butts handed to them. 
or, or, or being, you know, ended up on their back because they just got physically manhandled. It did happen. There were, you're playing in the SEC and you're playing these really good players. That's going to happen. And it did happen. But I don't think it was the primary problem. I think the primary problem was communication and noise and knowing who to block, knowing who to block when the other team uh, had exotic or, or, or blitzes that they weren't ready for. There seemed to be a lot of confusion. Some of that may have been on the center, but they still need to know. And I can't help but wonder if Kendall Randolph helps improve the communication. I mean, it's the center's job to make the line call, but the guard has to understand it and, and still know what to do. I can't help but think maybe that's a part of this. Yeah, I, I certainly agree. And, and I don't think people look at that enough because, you know, if you're not getting proper communication, and that was Alabama, that's one of their biggest issues last year. It's not that they didn't have any talent on their offensive line. You know, they had a top 10 pick in Evan Neal. You know, they had a guy who a lot of NFL evaluators think is a really good player or going to be a really good player someday, and JV and Cohen. Um, you know, that you had Emil Ekior Jr., who I think is an NFL offensive lineman. Uh, and, you you know, you did have some issues and some struggles at right tackle, and that certainly, you know, that uh, that contributed, obviously. But at the same time. That was time, a big part of things, too. I, yeah. I should have said, that, that, guy, that guy did get beat a lot. Yeah, but I um, mean, but you know, you, you can't put it all on him. I mean, you look across nope. the board, and it was, nope. it was, you know, the JV and Cohen, and and mm-hmm. and really the the interior of the offensive line got beat beat up pretty bad in the national title game. Uh, it wasn't really necessarily just tackle play; it was everywhere. And I just think, I mean, I, I'll put it this way: I think Eric Wolford's impact on this football team is going to be as big or as important as any player or any coach on the staff i got i'll put it that way because if you don't get proper offensive line play everything else that you're trying to do offensively you can be the running backs coach you can be the offense coordinator you know the the receivers coach if you're not getting quality offensive line play or adequate offensive line play everything else that you're trying to do gets affected and last year you saw that to the umph degree and that's why i'll say i believe in bill o'brien do i think he's going to be you know steve sarkeesian as far as innovativeness and and you know, creativity and just putting guys in the right position. No, but I think that he was hindered a lot last year by that offensive line and what he could yes. do. And I yep. think that in him now, you know, not only is he going into year two and he's comfortable with Bryce, people got to understand he was the one that had to adjust what he does. Nick, uh, Nick Saban in Alabama, when they bring in a new OC, it's not, hey, bring in your offense. Let's see what you got. It's, hey, you're coming here. That's great, but you better learn what we're doing. And so instead of, the players having to make a huge adjustment and getting uncomfortable. It's the offensive coordinator who's asked to get uncomfortable and that's fine. I feel like that that type of person is more prepared to make adjustments and, and, and handle or withstand whatever changes are made. But at the same time, you got to understand that when you're taking a guy like Bill O'Brien, who's already making that transition, a huge transition from the NFL to the college game on top of having to, you know, learn, or, or or change his approach and get out of his comfort zone, that's not going to create a, an immediate recipe for success in year two. Much different story. He's now comfortable with what he's doing. He's comfortable with the players. You got to think last year, no one saw Jamison Williams coming. I don't even think Alabama, when they recruited him, they knew that he was going to be a big part of the offense. They knew that he could, you know, very well could add, an, he was going to add an element. But when he became this 15, you know, Bolitnikoff runner up, you know, 1500 yard, 15 touchdown receiver, 
They weren't expecting that. And I think they realized exactly what it is that they had. If not in fall camp, then that Miami game where he had some big plays. And then they realized we can build our offense around this guy. And then when Mechie gets back to 100%, we're going to have a heck of a duo here. And so you're talking about an offensive coordinator who had spent the entire offseason, certainly the spring, thinking not, not thinking that he was going to have Jamison Williams at his disposal. And then you realize on the fly, hey, let's use this guy a lot. I mean, you know, we had to kind of tailor make the offense at a much later point for a player like that. And then that player goes down, you know, at halftime of the national title game after losing John Mechie in the SEC championship. So I, I feel really good about the offense coordinator spot. I think fans, you know, is he going to be a world beater and everybody's going to love him to death? And I don't necessarily think that's the case, but I do think you're going to see a much more successful Bill O'Brien in year two. Yeah, I agree totally. And uh, the best, you know, I learned this. I mean, I've always known it, but I'll tell you, Lane Kiffin was who really pounded this home for me. And that's what an offensive coordinator does is he finds the best player and you build your offense around that. Who's your best player? Call players. Don't call plays, you know. And uh, what's interesting to me is, like you said, they, they discovered Jamison Williams last year, discovered him. Because I, 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 I agree. I, I think they knew he'd be good. I don't think they knew he'd be that. But who's Alabama's best player? Well, A, it's Bryce. It's Bryce. So you've got to let Bryce do Bryce things. But in terms of the playmaker getting the ball in his hands, I think it's going to be Gibbs. And, and, and it's been it's, – it's interesting. It's been since 2015 that the best player was the, was the running back. That was the last time at Alabama that the best player on offense was the running back. But Jameer Gibbs is not Derrick Henry. Gibbs is the best player because he's multi-talented. He's good at catching the ball. And Bryce is good at throwing it. And I can't help but think that the go-to play – are, are really going to be throws to Gibbs and, and when you're giving him a breather, McClellan. And uh, I'm real interested to see Bill O'Brien's mind as it relates to how can I make my bread and butter play a throw to Gibbs and, and that be the play that bails us out time and time and time again. When we need something to happen, we're throwing it to Gibbs. Uh, I, I'm kind of interested to, to see that because I know Bill O'Brien's great at his job and this is what his job is, right? It's who are our best playmakers, the ball gets to them. Yes, uh, agreed. And when you look at Bill O'Brien, historically, I mean, Arian Foster, early in his career with the Houston Texans, great pass-catching running back. Uh, you know, Lamar Miller at one point. Duke Johnson was primarily a right. pass-catching running back. They, You know, his last season with the Houston Texans, even though he was kind of over the hill already, they went out and they targeted David Johnson. David Johnson. Yeah, so – this guy throughout his career with the Houston Texans, when he had a pass catching running back, he liked to utilize him and he, and he preferred those, that style of player. I think you're going to see big things as far as Alabama running backs, catching the football, the backfield. Cause I mean, who in the world saw Brian Robinson doing what he did in the passing game last year? You know, I mean, right. he had a lot, a lot, a lot of receptions for a running back had close to 300 yards receiving. Uh, plus, you know, what we thought we were going to get out of uh, Jace McClellan prior to his injury, as far as being a pass catching running back, yeah, if I were you, I would expect a lot uh, from Jameer Gibbs and from some of these other guys as well. All right, that's going to do it with the, uh, I guess, the offensive depth chart breakdown. We're going to hop right back on here and do a quick one on the defense as well. We appreciate you guys tuning in. This is the Bam on 3 show, and I'm your host, Clint Lamb.